Where do I start? Uh, first of all, I want to say a big thank you to Pastor Brennan for leading us in the book of Acts. It's a great study. And if you're here for the first time, uh, you need to just keep coming and uh, enjoy this uh, tremendous study in, in the, the story of the church, of God's church. And so um, here today and next week, we're taking a little break from the book of Acts. And we want to uh, consider here what I've entitled. Uh, you can look it up in, your, in the bulletin there in the outline. What I've entitled, The Showdown in Jerusalem. It's presented in the Bible as the week of Christ's passion. Jesus entering Jerusalem at a certain time. I don't know about you, but um, my week, this past week, went fairly well. And then this morning, I don't know what it is, but I I know if, if um, you were to talk to some of the instrumentalists and even the students singing, they'd say, maybe he's stressed out. That can happen. And uh, so the feeling of being in control didn't stay very long. <laughs> and we, don't we like that? You know, the, the old saying, you know, you, are, your, are all your ducks in a row uh, this past week or this coming week? Uh, but maybe the way you're looking at me, maybe you're, none of you are control freaks. Is that the case? And... Um, C'est la vie. What happens, what happens, and you let, let time pass along. But um, the concern that we see here from the passage that we're going to be studying is uh, Jesus didn't have any of that. And yet, going in, we're talking about going into this week when he was here on this earth, heading into the week that he knew of, he wasn't running around trying to get all of his ducks in a row. Last week, if you were here, you heard about the sovereignty of God. God's in control. And so, this morning, I want to have you take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And we're looking at verses 28 through 48. I'm not going to do that in a detailed manner, but we will uh, do a bit, our best to outline it and, and talk about the significant things herein. In this first part, I want us to understand that this week that Jesus and his disciples are facing is the most significant week in world history. I don't care what else you, you come and give me and uh, ask me to consider. This, if the Bible is true, maybe we should say since the Bible is true, this is the most significant week in all of history because of what comes at the end of the week. Okay? The Passion Week of Jesus Christ, where, again, last week, 
Pastor Brandon mentioning the verse in Genesis chapter 50, where God meant it for what? This Passion Week. God meant it for what? Good. Man meant it for evil. And that's why it's really a showdown in Jerusalem. It's not just a happy, oh, triumphant, happy entry into Jerusalem. It was triumphant in a certain sense. His entry into Jerusalem, though, is more about saying, God's in, in essence implying, don't mess with my son. Don't mess with my temple. That's in essence what God is, is saying. And it really drives home to our hearts individually, as we will see. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, please take one in front of you. And it's page 878. Just to get that quickly in there. 878, Luke chapter 19. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet. He sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, you shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. Okay, so we're going to look at different stages of this entrance into Jerusalem. So number one is the prelude to his entry. So letter A, he's fully ready. He's fully ready. Jesus is fully ready. And he's in control. And he's actually fulfilling prophecy... Now, here in Luke, it doesn't mention the, the prophecy. It's Zechariah 9, verse 9. The others mention it. Matthew and Mark mention it in theirs. Mainly due to the fact that Luke is not really uh, writing to a, gen, uh, to a Jewish audience. He's writing to a Gentile audience. That's what typically you find as you study the, this kind of passage, why Luke didn't have it. Okay? So... He, it shows here as he's getting ready, he's not going in yet, he's getting ready, he's sovereign. Now some, if you were to study this also, some commentators even mention that, well, um, he knew where to go and he'd already lined it up ahead of time. It's kind of like uh, reserving a, a, a rental car or something, you know. He knew ahead of time where to go, and he, um, he kind of talked to the guy that, uh, you know, he needed to use the, the colt. Well, if you want to believe that, that's fine. But I think what we're doing when we believe those kinds of things, we're really minimizing the, the sovereignty of God in the life of Jesus. We're minimizing His character. And I think what we need to do, just like when we say, who created this universe? Well, it was God, right? Well, yeah, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. They're all there at creation. Let's, let's magnify that truth that 
that Jesus didn't get started when he was born in Bethlehem. He got started. Well, he didn't get started. How about that? See, this is, this blows our mind because we, we want things in categories and in time, you know. I've got my, my Woody watch on here. It, it's made of wood and it keeps time pretty good and all that. And I want things to be in order, right? Jesus had no beginning, right? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Okay, so, um, He's in control. He knows this and He's fulfilling prophecy. Letter B, He's fully reliable. Why? Verse 32. Read, look at verse 32. So those who are sent away found it just as He had told them. Now, this is simply a reinforcement of what He's been doing for the last three years. He's been showing Himself trustworthy to His disciples and He does it again. Here's another proof and especially to these two disciples of his of Christ's reliability regarding his word and that's something that you and I ought to be holding as precious the reliability of his word okay i just wonder i, I know we we don't know it from the scriptures but i just wonder in in preparing for the message i couldn't help but wonder if thomas was one of the two disciples that went to get the the animal. Don't know. But the point being that Christ is driving it home. You can trust me. I am reli- I'm fully reliable. You can trust me. There's no change in Christ's track record with his disciples, okay? So that's a bit of the prelude. Then we move on number 2, the progression of his entry. The progression of his entry, starting at verse 35. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, another little stage here, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying... Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So here's the progression of his entry. Letter A, his appearance. Verses 35 and 36, he he came... Here's the appearance of seated on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What? And I know there's a lot of thoughts about this. Well, n- number one, it's it's depicting his royalty. It is depicting his royalty because that's how the Jews understood it. He's on a donkey coming in. And thus, he's showing, here's the character of humility and peace. Coming on a donkey. And the folks are spreading out their cloaks. And, um, and, and in the Gospel of John, it talks about the palm branches that they got and they laid before him. All of that to suggest their submission. They're submitting to him. And, and at the same time, crying out their praises, as, as we'll see in just a minute here. 
So really, he's, he's coming as a king, coming as the Messiah. He's claiming that. That's the stand, that's the statement that he's making. I'm coming in as, your, as the Messiah. And it's not showing a matter of strength and power as, as a conquering king would be on a stallion, right? That'll happen. That'll happen later, won't it? When he, here, here's the end times, you know, the fact that he'll, he'll come on a stallion. So that's the appearance, uh, very simple. Then letter B, his acclaim, his acclaim, verse 37 through 40. We see that they started, you know, giving praise. It says there in verse 37, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. So here we see the crowd gathers. Um, the, the excitement builds. Do you understand? Um, many of you guys uh, that are old enough, you showed up at Promise Keepers years ago when they had Promise Keeper conferences. Or some of you women, you'd go to big uh, conferences for ladies, uh, you know, regarding uh, women of faith, I think it was called. And so what happens there? It's like everyone. It doesn't matter if you're a believer. Everyone gets excited, you know. Guys, um, you know, being in a couple of different sports stadiums, packed to the gills with guys, and they're all excited. Isn't this wonderful? They're praising God, singing along. But how genuine was the praise? And a lot of times in this study of the Palm Sunday, many times the idea is that, well... It was just real superficial praise. Well, I think that's partly true, but not totally true. I think there are people that understood what was happening in a genuine, real way. And they knew he's saying he's the Messiah. He had said that in previous ways in, 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 in kind of behind the scenes. He asked his own disciples, who do, who, who do people say that I am? Okay. And so here, here he, he's now making it public. He's fulfilling Scripture and he's receiving. He's not stopping them. He's receiving their praise. The praise begins. And that term, Hosanna, is, it's not here in Luke, but it's in other passages. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. And... The idea of the term Hosanna, it's not like we wake up and start shouting Hosanna in the morning. But we've got plenty of songs about it. We ought to be praising God. And the term means save now. Save now. And there's um, references here in, in this passage and in others to Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the idea behind this. However, there's many, you know, again, we, we aren't throwing the blanket on everyone, but there's many who were considering this as, well, he's going to overthrow Rome. Here we go. Oh, man, this is cool. Because Rome's going to get kicked out. And he can do it. Jesus can do it. So they acclaim 
his praise was building. But then here's the here's in verse uh, 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd, can you just kind of imagine the disdain on their face? Teacher, stop them. What were they doing? What were the, what was the praise about? Is about Jesus. And he didn't stop them. But the Pharisees, they were the know-it-alls, right? They knew all the... Uh, they were the experts in the law. The people went to them for answers, right? He said, teacher, rebuke them, stop them. And he said what? I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. What does that tell you about his praise? If you're not going to praise him... All of creation will continue doing what it will do. And that is to praise Him. And here's an inanimate object, a rock. And the rocks will cry out. The stones will cry out praises to Him. And why is that? Here's evidence of God being the Creator. God's the Creator. When was the last time you got out at nighttime? Looked up at the clear sky? That all evolved, right? That all just kind of morphed into position, right? This is the Big Bang, right? Just kind of blew up and boom. There, wow, isn't that was spectacular. No, God is the designer. God's the creator. And all of creation will praise Him. Are you a part of that? Some of you are not. You're not a part of praising Him. And so part of this passage is to call you out, right? It's the showdown, not only in Jerusalem, but the showdown in your own heart, in your own life. Okay, that's letter B, his acclaim. Letter C, his anguish. Look at verse 41 and 42. And when he drew near and saw the city, he, he came around and comes down the road and boom, here, here you now can see Jerusalem. And what happens? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Actually, letter C and letter D go together very um, closely. So letter C is his anguish and letter D is his appraisal. From his anguish of uh, weeping over the city, he gives his appraisal of what, uh, why this is. Why is he crying? Number one, he knew the problem. They rejected their Messiah. Num- that's number one. They rejected their Messiah. They rejected the message of the Messiah. What was that? You can look there at um, verse 40. Where is it? Verse 42, verse 41, it says, when he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. Then he's saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. What was he saying? He came as the Prince of Peace. He came, you know, offering peace. And they rejected him. They rejected him. 
So they reject the Messiah and his message. And the message is peace. Not, you know, so many people get to thinking like at Christmas time, oh, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. You know, and it's like, yeah, we all want peace. And uh, that's what everyone, you know, they get in a big crowd and they can all be, oh, yeah, we all want world peace. What does the Bible teach? The Bible doesn't teach about world peace until he comes and he's in charge and he reigns. (laughs) We're not going to have world peace with the leaders around nowadays. You think that's going to happen? No. And that's the problem that many of them had in their day because they were concerned about the political situation. Let's get rid of Rome. We don't like Rome dominating us. And look at the miracles that Jesus can do. Why can't he just say the word? And maybe now's the time. Maybe he will now. He's coming into Jerusalem. Let him have it, Jesus. Right? He wept over these things, their rejection, but he wept also, as we can see in the appraisal, letter D, because of the consequences of their rejection. There's going to be judgment coming. And that's what the next section, look at verse 43. For the the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. You missed out on the opportunity. This is referring to the destruction of the temple. Okay? And that's coming. So he not only foresaw what was coming, he warned them. And through this, you know, here he's wept over Jerusalem. Folks, anyone, if you studied in the Old Testament, hopefully, you know, we are a people that understand that it's the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. We understand what the Old Testament is teaching. This is nothing new to Israel. This is not new. There's something, oh, well, boy, God sure got upset here. No, they had had this happen in the past. Because of their disobedience. Because of their saying, no, we don't need God to lead us. We'll do it ourselves. And here God's judgment came time and time again. And now here's the the Messiah. He's not one of the options. He's the Messiah. The anointed one. The Christ. And they rejected him. Okay, so that's the progression of his entry. Number three on the back of your outline. Uh, This is the next day now. It doesn't tell us that in Luke, but this is the next day. And by the way, um, I brought this little book up here. If ever you come across a uh, harmony of the Gospels, this is a very, very helpful book. Here it is. And it, it has all of, here's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in columns together. Okay? And you can read and follow what the different authors say throughout as it goes. Just a valuable help 
uh, book. So I encourage you to keep your eye out for a harmony of the Gospels. So um, that's, you know, you can figure things out as you, as you research and, and track along. This is the next day. So here's Monday. And he comes back to the temple. And look what happens. Verse 45. Verse 45, he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So here's the first one, the passion of his entry, letter A, his assault on on temple improprieties, his assault. It's not just, oh, please don't do that. No, he went after it, attacked it, assaulted the tables. And he didn't even let the people passing by with merchandise to to carry on. He didn't even let that happen. The the temple had been turned into a marketplace, a money-making mall. And the leadership didn't do anything about it. Here's where Christ's zeal for his temple came forth. Jesus called it a den of robbers. They were robbing the people, but who are they really robbing? You know, they're really robbing God. Letter B, he shows his attention to temple effectiveness. What should have been the norm? Let's keep reading. Verse 47, and he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do. For all the people were, I love this, hanging on his words. You know, what? just a a great concentration is really what he's saying. Here's a, everyone is concentrated, focused on what he was saying. Now I know you might not be focused... Right now on everything I say, that's okay. Will you please focus and ask God for His help when you open His Word and you spend time in His Word? That's time to put the blinders on. You know, Don't let anything distract you. This is your time in the Word. And folks, that's what we really want to see here is in Christ's attention to temple effectiveness, it's really daily devotions. You get taught through daily devotions. And let's go beyond just the daily breads. Let's go beyond the daily bread kind of devotions to you spending time in the Word and maybe even with the harmony of the Gospels, looking at other passages and letting it sink in. Daily devotions, you cannot survive without them. Don't wait for next Sunday to be in the Word. What's, what's his emphasis there? His emphasis is on prayer. This is my house. It's a house of what? Prayer. And then he teaches them. And, and he's doing not just in one shot. He continues teaching throughout this week. Here's Monday and Tuesday, possibly Wednesday. Teaching in the temple. Going back to teach again. Teaching again in the temple. What's the next one? Uh, daily devotions, the first one. And then pray, uh, spiritual discernment. 
Spiritual discernment. Folks, this is one of the most important things for maturity in the faith. Spiritual discernment. Why do I say that? Am I grabbing that out of nowhere? Kind of out of thin air saying, well, let's have spiritual... Well, what were the Pharisees trying to do? They're, they're after him. They wanted to destroy him. What is false teaching about? It's, it's, not, it's missing the mark. Do we have false teaching around today? Sure do. We have plenty of false teaching going on in the name of Jesus. False teaching going on. And if you're not discerning, you're going to get swept away in some other kind of ideological, uh, you know, thinking of some sort that sends you down a, a man-centered pathway. Be alert to that, my friend. And the Scriptures have plenty to say about spiritual discernment, being able to tell good from evil. Third one, sanctified desires. Sanctified desires. When, when it says they were hanging on His words, what, that, that should bring about a result of holy desires in their lives. I, I want to be like Jesus. Do you want to be like Jesus? Yes, we stumble and trip and fall and mess up. Yes. But confess sin and stand back up and keep walking in the direction that Jesus has for your life. Godly desires. Listen, when it comes to the the passion of His entry, being in the temple, it's His temple. It's His. It's not the religious officials. It's His temple. Okay? He knows what's best. Christ's obvious concern is for restoring what? Restoring purity in the temple. That's why he was so upset. This is, this is a joke, making it into a money-making place. He was concerned about the purity of his temple. Keep that thought. Hold on to that thought. And we move to number four. The purpose of his entry. We're, we, we wrap it up. We give conclusion to the matter with, this, with point four. The, the purpose of his entry. Letter A. To confirm, listen, to confirm Christ's true identity. Many were, you know, figuring that he's going to, you know, like we mentioned earlier, he's going to take over. He's going to kick Rome out and he'll, he'll do miracle after miracle. He'll kick him out. Political kind of view of the Messiah, wrong. Okay. So I'm not saying I know, but I'm sure that there are some people here and throughout America that feel like God's you know, going to be our political Messiah. And all we're concerned about is America without concern about holiness. So don't make the same mistake as, as some of the Jews did in making Christ out to be a political savior. And don't limit his identity as king. But remember, he was presenting, listen, he was presenting himself as the lamb, the Passover lamb. He's not just coming in as the Messiah. What's this week about? They were were getting ready to celebrate Passover. 
Jesus is coming not just as the Messiah, He's coming as the Passover Lamb. That blows our natural thinking minds. It just blows our minds away. Why? Because a king, we all know what a king's supposed to do. Come in and have power and strength and, and glory, all that. Jesus did it a backwards kind of way, didn't He? So, Letter A, confirm Christ's true identity. Letter B, conquer my rebel heart. His purpose in coming is to conquer hearts. <laughs> and we know that as the system of, of, of religion, that the, the Jews turned into self-righteous efforts. They're self-righteous efforts. Okay? So, um, what kind of heart category are you in? You either are sitting here with a dead heart. Your heart is dead to the things of God. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 says. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead. You might have a dead heart sitting here this morning. You might also have a hard heart. You could be a believer and have a hard heart. Because of things that have happened that haven't gone your way and you're, you've allowed your heart to get hard. Number three, you could be half-hearted. Half-hearted. John chapter 12, verse 42 and 43 talks about some of the disciples just kind of drifted off and went away. They were half-hearted. They couldn't handle some of the stuff that he was saying. And they obviously weren't going to be able to handle the, the suffering. And I know, let me just say it here. Had I been there, had you been there, when he went and was arrested, beaten, and all that he went through Thursday, you know, early Thursday morning in the, in the dark of night, I would have ran. I admit. Would you have run? And this is partly because of our thinking of who he is and what he's going through. We, you know, they didn't quite understand. You know, what? Why is this happening? So, you have a dead heart, a hard heart. You need to bring that to the Lord. You need to come before him and, and repent. Repent. If it's a half heart that you have, acknowledge that. Repent and turn from it and say, God. Help me refresh my heart in the things of your word. So that, number four, I would have a whole heart. A wholeheartedness towards God. Mark chapter 12. Matthew chapter 21. Uh, 22, I'm sorry. Jesus said, You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. That's not a half-hearted issue there, folks, is it? And so I'm not saying, you know, you can snap your finger and ask the Holy Spirit to make you wholehearted. It takes time. It's, this is the part of transformation. Okay? The work of God in transforming His children. We were once enemies, but now He's working on us to make us more and more like Christ. Praise the Lord. Number uh, Letter C the purpose of his entry is also to command my love and affections. To command my love and affections. 
It's His transforming grace. What is this getting at? Why do I say love and affections? Because the thing that you love the most, the thing that you love the most is what you worship. Okay? So it's critical that we understand the issue of love. When Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. We need His work. It's not something I can accomplish on my own. I need His grace to help me do that. And so, specifically, ways in which we glorify God, but not with lip service. I'm, I'm really good at doing lip service. I can, I can be troubled in my heart and stand up here in front of you on a certain Sunday and be singing, and, but my heart, where's my heart really at? So that's the challenge for... Anyone who's involved in ministry, you can be up here or you can be ministering wherever you are and be careful that it doesn't go into lip service. Because that's the tendency of our hearts, isn't it? So we want to have a whole heart in ministry. God help us with that. You can, you can glorify God by tracking along with this passage. You realize that? Didn't the disciples heed the word of the Lord? The two disciples went and they they obeyed His word. How do you glorify God? Be like the two disciples. They heeded His word. You know, the whole idea of coming in Jerusalem. You can glorify God by honoring the Son, giving Him praise, and not just on the Christian holidays. Every day of your life. From the rising of the sun till the time that it goes down. The name of the Lord shall be praised. Right? Psalm 145, 1 through 3. I will extol the Lord. I will bless the Lord every day. Okay? Psalm 145, 1 and 3. Then... Number three, uh, in how we glorify God and tracking along with this little outline, we, number one, heed His Word, honor His Son, and hallow His temple. Uh, we don't have the temple, Woody. Yes, we do. You're a believer? There's the temple right there. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Hallow His temple. How would you like the thought of Christ coming in to your temple and roaring through it with his his being uh, you know you got you got money changers in your own life you got adulterous relationships in your life that's that's really what it comes to isn't it we don't want it we want to get rid of the idols right right get rid of the idols and that's the problem with our hearts we we get drawn away you know, thinking of other interests and, and pleasures. And so the idea of our response to the Lord, let's humble ourselves before Him and submit to His ways and keep learning of His ways in the Word. And again, don't don't take me wrong. I'm... It's something that God does in His children. That's transforming grace. Amen?
That's transforming grace. So, today, you have, especially you who have children at home, go home and think of other ways. I didn't give you, there's a whole list of ways in which you can glorify God at home. Why wait till next week to figure it out? Spend time dwelling on ideas and, and things that you can come up with, things that your children can come up with in glorifying God. Encourage your children in that way. That's a great form of, here's discipling them and mentoring them at home, pointing them to the Scriptures. How do you glorify God today? How do you glorify God this week? Okay. Well, I'd like to uh, pray here in just a moment, but I I want you to know that we will have um, a couple up here. Uh, they'll be up front this morning. If you need to pray and ask God uh, for whatever it might be, whatever situation you could be facing, um, come and pray with the folks up front here. That's what they're here for. And um, we encourage you in doing that. Um, And please be praying for... uh, We've got a Good Friday communion time, and uh, that'll be set up here. We'll have instructions to guide you through the scriptures and and allow you to take communion with your family or by yourself. That will be Friday night, um, 4.30 to 7.30. And then uh, Sunday morning, sunrise service, breakfast, and resurrection time. Hallelujah. Please stand and we'll close in prayer. The Apostle John wrote of his vision of heaven and of the predominant theme that is there. And he wrote, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seal, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. And then I looked. And I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. And the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads. And thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. To receive power and riches and wisdom and might and glory. And honor and blessing. In every created thing which is in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all things in them, I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and dominion, forever and ever. Thank you, Lord, for your good work, and your amazing grace, and your, uh, your mercies towards us in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for our time this morning, and thank you that Jesus uh, did not just kind of throw things together and hope everything worked out, he, he was in control. Thank you that you are in control right now, O oh God. And we submit ourselves to you and pray that you would be glorified in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would do a great work in the lives of people here who still do not yet know you. Draw them 
by your amazing love and grace and bring them into your family, we pray. Be glorified in this. Thank you again for our time. We praise you. Bless your name forever and ever. Amen and amen. God bless you and you're dismissed.